almost anything can go wrong. Yes. And where the trouble's going to come in is by messing up the ascent. Right. It's not not necessarily from what happens underwater. It's the release of pressure that's going to get you. Right. It's the release of pressure that is damaging is uh, can cause immediate life-threatening injury if done incorrectly, improperly, mismanaged, you know, however you want to put it. Right, and some people think, well, I'm only going 30, 40 feet, I'm fine. It's two but, to one, you know, bro. After, yeah, I mean, after 30 minutes of bottom time, your fastest tissues are 100% saturated with nitrogen. Right, but you're definitely doing damages somewhere, whether at the microscopic level whether at the gross level anatomy, um, whether you're doing an, a, you know, an emergent type uh, injury, you're doing damage somewhere when you, when you exceed a good slow ascent rate, you are doing damage somewhere. That, that's given. That's all. We know that for sure. Yeah. Really what diving is and what decompression is to a certain extent is you know you're you're taught this dive table or this this you know beeping dive computer in your scuba class and you're sold this this idea that you're either safe because it didn't go beepy beepy Mm -hmm. or you're going to the hospital because it did go beepy beepy (laughs) and 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 it's a it's a black line that when you cross that line you're bent and you're in trouble but the reality of it is it's a game of where do you want to be how close to going to the hospital do you want to push it versus how close to having never absorbed any nitrogen at all are you trying to keep it and what is that risk tolerance that you're willing to accept as a diver Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everyone. You're here with Safety Stop Jamesy. And old Stay Below Your Smallest Bubble Brando. <laughs> a sense. A sense? In a sense. Or a sense. In a sense, a sense. Or are... in, in that sense. There's many ways you could take that on an audio podcast. You might. What does he mean by a sense? Does he smell? Is he smelling ass sense? A scent. <laughs> is it an ass scent or an essence? Or is it a sense? It, is it the essence of an ass scent? No, people. We're talking about coming up to the surface. Coming back home, baby. Ascending, which, as we know, is is in reality the most important critical part. Critical. Most critical. <laughs> Thank you. I'm uh, I'm trying to be uh, more precise in my diction these days. I'm trying to really convey the exact message, or as close to the exact message as I possibly can, coming from my brain. But it's an asymptote. You'll never get there. You'll never get there. You approach it, but you'll never get there. Unless the rest of the audience including you, James, get up in my noggin and start crawling around for a while. 
But bring your uh, hazardous waste suits. <laughs> hazardous All right, everybody. <laughs> We're going to meet tomorrow morning in the Walmart parking lot. I was going to say in my grab some supplies. We're going to grab some supplies <laughs> and head over to Brando's place. No, I was having a recent conversation at the shop with a new diver who was telling me about her recent shallow dive, open water dive. Train. It wasn't a training dive, but it was at the training site. You know, lost control of her buoyancy, popped to the surface in a melee of bubbles and confusion, and you know, uh, she got spooked. How how long had she been diving at this point in her life? Oh, she. I mean, I mean, this is it's pretty new. Yes. Okay. I mean, around ten dives, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. just just got certified recently. Doing the old new diver blues of of you know the the Rena Buddy blues. I got the new diver blues, Mama. <laughs> Mama sent me a package. I got the new diver blues. I'm alone at this quarry. Nobody to use as a dive buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I got that new diver blue. You can't fill these shoes. <laughs> well, it's like uh, Brando's mom always used to say. <laughs> <laughs> Renting a buddy is like a box of chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> you it's never a, know what you're going to get. I wouldn't even say it's a box of chocolates. Chocolates give you, <laughs> at least you're sore, you're kind of narrowed narrowed the choice down to chocolates, hopefully, a chocolatey covered treat. But when you when you have a, a, a spin the roulette wheel of buddy choices, right, you could get bankrupt. You could get... <laughs> 13 black. 13 black. Come on, 13 black. <laughs> give me... Double O's. 13 black. 34 red, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> You lose. Thanks for playing. Thanks. Thirty-four red. He popped to the surface. <laughs> Son of a bitch. What's what's the the, the double O's? Is that like yeah. uh, embolism? <laughs> what do you get there? Green. You're bent. <laughs> Congratulations. Green. He lost me. He lost me. Mm. Left me all alone. There's a lot of that. Twelve red. He's a new photographer. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Not paying any attention to me at all. Twelve black. He's right. an old photographer, and he's still not paying any attention to you at all. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But um, you and I have been around long enough, and we know enough that we could go down to the quarry and hmm. dive with anybody. Well, we're instructors as well. I mean, <laughs> right? And, and we're going to we're going to probably keep both of us safe. We we are. Definitely not going to approach the dive in the same way that if you and I were diving together, if we just had a, a rent-a-buddy for the day. There's a, probably a good chance that this other diver that we're just meeting isn't thinking and planning the same way we are. So we're going to have to approach it differently. Uh, we're not going to just make the assumption that the diver is going to be where they're supposed to be the whole dive, right? right? You're going to have to approach it from a different way that a new diver isn't really taught to do. They're just taught, hey, you have to have a buddy. Get on the, you know, nowadays it's, you know, get on the buddy board and, you know, see if somebody else is available to dive that day and compare gas and, 
remind each other of where your alternate air source is and, and go do a dive. But there's more to diving than just that. Well, yeah, everything you brought up there is 100% correct. You, uh, you don't have time, A, to, to teach them a full, you know, proper plan and proper gas plan and every hand signal that might be out there for you to use, you know, and proper positioning on a dive and a proper ascent. So you hope they kind of have an idea of what that is. But a lot of times they don't. As, you know, I found out in my recent experience up there diving in the straits. Uh, after you left, I was with a group that I don't dive regularly with. As a matter of fact, I was with a complete stranger on uh, two of the dives. Um, thankfully, you know, he was an instructor, a good guy and a smart guy, but definitely not the same page. So we, we had to go over things like, do you have a gas plan? Um, do, <laughs> what's our, what bottom time do you want to stay at? How do you want to stay together? And we kind of talked a little bit. I talked to him about prop, you know, a sense, and we're going to do, I like to do a 30, 20, 10 kind of thing. And he's a computer diver strictly. And uh, so he told me his, right. his signs for this is what my computer says kind of thing. And we made it work, and, it, and they weren't, you know, super hardcore dives, you know, by any means. And like I say, he was an experienced instructor. He had been diving for 25 years. But he's used to being up above and, you know, to the left of, of people, you know. <laughs> so when you're looking for him, he's not next to you. He's, he's up above and behind you kind of thing. Yeah, well, well at least this guy was consistently up above and yes. to the left of you. You know, that, that is a bonus. Yeah. As much of a pain in the ass as it is to have a buddy that swims in, in that spot, at least if they're consistently there, yeah, that's, uh, that's better than never knowing where to look. Right. And, and like I say, we're instructors. We're used to that, and that's how they roll. So you, you deal with it. You, you try to incorporate that into your plan and, and you keep a closer eye on them. It by no means is as fun or enjoyable of an experience as diving with someone on the same page. But it is what it is. Sometimes you do that. You, you get buddied up with a total stranger. So you try to get a little background on them, see what you're getting yourself into. Look at the equipment, look at the person, look at their behavior, getting geared up, uh, talk to them, find out what kind of experience they have. Yeah, there's a lot that you learn over years of experience. All those like subtle nonverbal cues right. of things that you know that when you get in the water, you're going to have to take into account with with the speed you swim, the positioning that you keep, you know, right. the, the awareness that you have, whether or not you're going to really let yourself enjoy the dive versus you're down there to keep this person from getting into too much trouble right even their demeanor you know on the boat suiting up assembling equipment even their demeanor can indicate you know a level of nervousness a level of comfort misunderstanding in a dive plan and again the most critical part that we come back to is staying together on the ascent right? i mean it's yeah. one of the most important times for your awareness of each other to be hypercritical. I mean, if, if you think about it, for the average diver and the way most divers are taught to do dive plans, which is swim around and don't run out of air, it probably means at the end, if there's a chance somebody's going to run out of air, 
It's probably <laughs> going to be at the very end of the dive. Oh, it will be, yes. Because that's where you've pretty much used up most of your gas, right? It's either going to be at the very beginning because somebody jumped in and didn't turn a tank valve all the way on, or they mm-hmm. turned it on a quarter turn and, and left it there, or it's going to be at the end. It's probably not going to be middle of the dive. I was, mm-hmm. I just looked at my gauge. I was at you know 2,200 PSI. I'm probably not going to go to zero right there. Right. Right. You know, 15, 20 minutes into the dive, everything's going good. But at the end of the dive, everybody's used up their gas. Like, that's where you're hypercritical. And you know that you've got to not just pop to the surface, you got to come up cleanly. Right. Because even after 30 minutes of bottom time in 50, 60 feet of water, which is perfectly legitimate for a brand new open water diver to go to, they've got that pass from that certification card. Just shooting to the surface after 30 minutes of bottom time where your blood is 100% saturated with, with nitrogen. In your fast tissues, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot like uh, flying an aircraft, if there's any pilots or air crew out there listening. It, the critical portions of a flight are the takeoff and, and landing. And, of course, you add a little extra dimension and landing because – Usually you're lower on fuel, you know, so it it gets a little more critical. And the the ground tends to come at you a lot faster than it <laughs> leaves you. <laughs> if you're not doing it correctly, yes. I think I think the most critical part of all plane crashes are the landing part. Well, it's that part where it slams. That's usually where the, the explosion <laughs> occurs and the plane scatters into pieces. Yes, you can get injured there. So potential uh, place for injury or potential point in the flight for critical injury, if not death. You know what pilots should start doing? They should start doing safety stops at 1,500 feet before the (laughs) land. Safely descend from every flight. (laughs) So I've got this editorial that I've been uh, toying with for months for the, the perfect time for it. And I think today's the day, Brando. Okay. It's from your old buddy, Paul Zamoulis. Back in 1974, he was telling the readers of Skin Diver to take five. So some of the information has evolved since this. But he brings up a, a, a good point of looking further into just those no decompression limits that are on the U.S. Navy dive table, which was kind of the standard for everyone to really be using at this day, as well as the automatic devices that were starting to, to come out. What he was saying is, hey, like, you can't just, you know, use these hard numbers and just shoot to the surface afterwards. You got to think through this more. He was trying to tell the, the people back then, nearly 50 years ago. And he starts off by saying that as diving activities become more sophisticated, we find ourselves in need of a better working knowledge about decompression tables and procedures. This is evidenced by the growing number of decompression aids now available on the American market. Sport divers are going deeper, staying longer, and becoming more vulnerable to the bends than ever before. It is quite possible that bends may become the greatest safety problem facing us in the next few years. Hmm. So in this day is where, you know, they were thinking that, you know, this was going to be it. 
you know, the new divers were mostly using just steel 72s, you know, swimming around fast, working their asses off because they didn't really have devices like buoyancy compensators and backplates and wings to have a, a, you know, a clean and streamlined buoyancy compensator. And uh, the technique wasn't like it is today. So, yeah, you could swim around and run out of air in 15, 20 minutes. Right. Versus now as things are coming along and people have been at it for a couple of decades, staying longer, twinning up some 72s, you know, uh, <laughs> getting deeper. Getting some 80s, getting some 85s. Yeah. Hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, we get more gas. There's more gas. There's more time. And so, yeah, you can. It really opens the door to getting bent now for even a, says, a open water diver right out of class. Right. He says, during recent discussions with such equipment developers as Hans Keller and Ralph Shamlian, a very interesting point about the decompression tables came to light. It is now believed that the no decompression table is potentially the most dangerous of all decompression tables if abused or improperly applied. Up to now, it had been considered the safest by most sport divers and instructors. It's very dangerous. It's got a black belt in jujitsu. Right. So what he's saying is that when these divers were handed this table from the heavens of yeah. this is how deep I can go and this is how long I can stay. 60 oh, feet per minute. Feet. Come yeah. on up. Yeah. I can go to 100 feet. Navy table says 25 minutes. Next stop. Right, 24 <laughs> minutes and 59 seconds. Next stop the surface. Right. He says the danger in the no decompression table lies in the fact that a diver who follows this table ascends to the surface without taking any decompression stops at all. If he has made any sort of error in bottom time computation or has pushed his dive beyond the limits, the chances for a Benz hit is greater than with the diver who has made a deeper, longer dive and took some decompression at the required stops. As Keller so aptly stated, some decompression time is better than none at all. Agreed. <laughs> Something's better than nothing when it comes to... Uh, a safety stop or decompression stop, you know, whatever nomenclature you want to throw on it, but it's right it's, because uh, letting that gas when, come out, just just pausing the the expansion rate. Right, because when new divers go through class and they're taught they're doing no decompression diving, that they can always go directly to the surface if any emergency really occurred. They're lied to from day one. That is a lie, oh. a filthy, rotten, stinking lie in their fat faces. <laughs> <laughs> let me put it, let me put it subtly. I, la I let laugh, me put it but a little you're right. Here. It is. <laughs> I know I'm right. Of course I'm fucking right. The mere, the mere fact that you were ascending from two Adas to back to one Ada. You are decompressing. It's the de definition. Even, if, even <laughs> though it's a 30-foot dive, it's only a 10-meter dive. It's, mm -hmm. You are decompressing. To better explain the problem, let's go back a few steps to the source of the no decompression table. When the U.S. Navy Standard Air Decompression Table was developed years ago, the Navy conservatively estimated a built-in error of 5%. This meant... That an estimated five out of every 100 Navy divers who followed the table to the letter would still be bent due to the wide variance in individual human physiology. 
subsequent reviews of logged dives by Navy divers, with a computer analysis, he says, has revealed only a 0.6% error factor. However, it must be remembered that this reduction in the error factor is based on Navy divers who were pre-scanned for medical problems, age, health, etc. There is no compiled data available on civilian divers. Out of shape, TV watching, Kentucky Friday, chicken eating, fat Taco Bell eating, McDonald's eating. What other fast food? What's the, what is the fast food of choice for most divers? Let's take a poll. What would you say it is? Dunkin' Donuts? Well, what he's saying is it's literally anybody who's not on a Navy diver regiment being fed a particular diet on a particular workout schedule daily that you can't say no to. You can't just blow off the gym on on any given day. Like, you are... What? I I schedule. I would say you just tell you tell your sergeant to stick it up his ass. (laughs) See what happens. (laughs) I don't feel like working out, Sarge. Especially back in the seventies, there was no timeouts in the seventies. There was when you were in the when you were in the military. (laughs) (laughs) There was no safe space. Uh, The the only safe safe space was probably in a foxhole, but. No, I think even more more to the point of that physical fitness level is their aerobic lung capacity, their tissue isn't, you know, we know that fat really holds the nitrogen in. We, we know that. They don't have yeah. as much fat on their bones, you know, on their bodies. And the fat goes into all of, you know, goes into your muscle tissue, goes into your, it's in your nervous tissue. Of course, fat makes up the covering of your, your nervous tissue, right. a great big and portion w- of it. Mm-hmm. And what we know now of people who have PFOs, lung shunts, other little things medically that they weren't aware of, and at least they were mm-hmm. screening for some <clears throat> medical conditions right. back in this day that would that would rule out. No, you know, you don't have the you know cardiovascular performance. You know, mm-hmm. you go to long range surveillance. You know, you're not in the dive program. Mm-hmm. Whatever, right? Age, right? You could be, you know, super fit, super healthy, but what we've learned about a lot of the reports that we've done, the Dan Incident reports in the past, is, you know, when you're in your 50s and 60s, even if you're healthy, it's not like being healthy in your 20s. You know, I say, I say all that fat stuff with tongue in cheek. At the end of the day, what it comes down to is you don't have the ability to remove nitrogen from your body as efficiently as you did when you were younger and in 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 an a good aerobic fitness level where, you know, gas exchanges is at at its uh, peak. Right. And it takes time for your blood to circulate through your whole entire body. True. So one, just changing from that depth to the surface and getting rid of all that pressure from around you in less time than it actually takes your blood to circulate is going to inhibit decompression cleanly he says another very important factor is the rate of ascent the u.s navy standard air decompression table is only valid if the diver precisely follows the 60 feet per minute rate of ascent this procedure is a vital part of the whole procedure it's a component yeah vital component of the procedure yeah for sure 
coming up too fast or too slow changes the whole ball game and invalidates the schedule being followed. I think that's something that a lot of divers you know, don't understand, especially new divers today, that all they learn is here's a dive computer. It's issued on day one. Keep it in the green zone. Like They don't understand that it's really all a mathematical computation of absorption of gas based off of all these half times and then it's an, another calculation of how fast that gas is going to leave based on those same half times based mm-hmm. on the change of ambient pressure nobody is exact with the actual table itself well exactly because you're leaving out the most critical part of of every decompression discussion is it's all theoretical, homeboys. It's theory. We're operating on theory, not on facts. We, and, and the human body varies from person to person, day to day, minute to minute. Even your psychological uh, condition, if you want to call it a condition, your, your psychological mindset, that can cause variances in your physical condition, which affect how you decompress how you eliminate gas easily from your, you know, tissues. So, yeah, it's all theoretical. And like you say, the computer is just using theoretical algorithms on theoretical tissue compartments, and it just continues to plug numbers in based on depth that it continually averages via the, the sensors in the computer. So right. that's Which how it is works. All it's, it's really that's all it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's just constantly re-averaging those those depth numbers and time numbers. Exactly, and plugging them into an algorithm. It, when you think about it, I mean, yeah, from that v- very simplistic uh, explanation of what it's doing, it, it, it there isn't much to it. But really, I mean, there isn't much to it. It's taken us a while to kind of uh, hone in on exactly a method or a way to, if you want to call it monitor, tissue absorption. And again, they're theoretical tissues, right? It's, uh, they don't say, oh, this tissue does this and this tissue does that in the computer or in the algorithm that we're using. It's just Right, yeah, numbers. even still today, mm-hmm. it's just there's 16 different time compartments that we give a general you know, relativity to certain tissues in the body, but it's all a guess. Right, and it, they do that so they have something to work with. You have t- something tangible to work with. So it's, it's a... It's, them just hypothesizing and saying, let's assign uh, compartments to the tissues. You know, let's assign half times to different tissues. And they know it kind of works that way. They just, I don't think, you know, maybe I'm off now because I I don't, my finger's not on the pulse of the medical uh, hyperbaric community there. But uh, they never had like, okay, this tissue this particular uh, lung cell has this half time, or this particular bone cell has this half time. It, it's just theoretical numbers. Well, right, because in <clears throat> reality, what we, we would know now, and I think back then even, is I don't even think you can consider the lung as one half time. Right, part right, exactly. Well, it's time. a, a like cell you, or a you tissue. You can't consider, yes. like, 
every mm-hmm. muscle in the human body as muscle corresponding to this particular halftime. Yeah, they vary too. It's so, and I think it varies and is changes from day to day based minute on to minute. how well hydrated you are, how much sleep you got the night before. Did you smoke a couple cigarettes on the drive down to the dive? Did you eat uh, a donut with breakfast or did you just have all water and high protein? Like, I mean, there's so many variables that's going to change the biochemistry and and that's what we're really dealing with in reality is it's all biophysics. It's not like yeah. statistical mathematic physics, which is what the actual computer is reading and showing and telling you. But in the reality, the, the human body is changing from hour to hour, minute to minute. Second to second, even. It, you know. Yeah. So Pauly says that since the no decompression table is based on the standard air decompression table, it is bound by the very same rules, procedures, and built-in error factors. It certainly is no safer or no different than the standard table. In fact, the title, No Decompression, is a misnomer. Misnomer or filthy lie? (laughs) (laughs) Since you are most certainly decompressing while using this table. It would have been less misleading if this table were titled No Stop Decompression Table. And that's why, you know, we've called it it's just a dive minimum table. decompression. Yeah, there you go. Minimal de- decompression, yeah. Right. Because you have to do some decompression after every dive. You have to do decompression to come to the surface. Coming to the surface Absolutely. is decompression. Right. right. By definition. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a much more accurate nomer. <laughs> Nomenclature. Every right, every dive is a decompression dive. It depends on how much you want to push it into the danger zone. Is really what what it comes down to. Right, and I think I think you know all all reasonably intelligent technical divers realize this, and it's forefront in their mind. But uh, this is yeah, aimed... but isn't it? A sh- it's a shame that uh, I'm just starting scuba. Right. This is the very first class I've ever taken that they're not told that same reality. Well, yeah, and it, it, it begs the question, why not? And again, we go back to, you know, laws of teaching and laws of it. it we call them laws, but there's these, you know, that once you put something in their head, it's very difficult to get out. You know, old instructors, old, they're, they're, it's very hard for them to do something new or different because a lot of practices and thoughts and and mindsets are ingrained from the beginning, you know, when you're laying that foundation of uh, diving education. Agreed. And if you're always fearing that number, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it leads to underwater anxiety. UA. UA, UA. in the uh, diving psychology world. Medical world, yeah. I'm, I'm suffering from a little UA. UWA. UWA. It's a... Uh, it's a term that was coined back in the early days of hyperbaric medicine by one B.C. Schwartz <laughs> Sr. Senior? What is a senior? Dive stuff? instructor. Does that mean you, you have a son, B.C.? No, it just means I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the Navy diver, today's sport diver does not have all the trimmings which go along with the decompression tables. 
There is no timekeeper to precisely measure each diver's descent time, bottom time, ascent time, and no decompression stop time. There is no medical doctor to examine him prior to the dive, and there is no recompression chamber standing by in case of accident or error. For example, it has been observed that most sport divers fail to follow the prescribed descent rate of 60 feet per minute. They have no way or instrument for gauging ascent speed and invariably come up too fast. This is one of the key problems in using the no decompression table. And of course, today we do have very accurate digital gauges and digital dive computers that are tracking that for us. But again, for the average typical new diver, it is a psychological tax to be able to monitor that gauge accurately. Right. Foot by foot by foot, second by second on the ascent, and control the inflator, and pay attention to where their buddy is, and pay attention to where the line is, and know, you know, where they're at in relation to the boat, and not be worried about, you know, the shark swimming past, and remember, uh, you know, where am I clipping off my camera? And, like, there's so much going on for a new dive. Oh, somebody's bubbles are coming up underneath me, and that razzles, and there's so much happening that to be able to have, if they do put all of their awareness into that gauge, right, what they generally see is not doing a nice clean ascent. They see themselves going up, oh, shit, too fast, too fast, <laughs> dumping, ooh, down too much, too much, too much. Mm-hmm. Inflate, inflate, inflate. Expand the gas. Oh shit! Dump, 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 dump. Too much, too fast. Right? There's so much happening that even though they do have the accurate measurement of depth, time, ascent time, speed, it's still overwhelming. Right now, let me ask you: What do you attribute this this to? Because you're right; it's extremely common. As a matter of fact, it, it it's almost the rule that. A new diver isn't going to be able to do a proper ascent. A new average open water diver out of the average open water class is not going to be able to do a uh, a thirty foot per minute ascent and a safety stop very well unless they're holding on for dear life, so their hands are occupied, and in which case their buoyancy is being compromised. Uh, Correct, right? and that's that's the answer to your question right there. Right, so if they do let go, it's, it's not that they don't know how to ascend. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's not that they don't know how to ascend. It's that they can't control their buoyancy. Well, that is ascent is all, is all of the time. Yeah, ascent is control of your buoyancy. That's what it is. That's what it means. You're you're controlling your buoyancy by allowing yourself to rise through the water column at a uh, determined rate. Yes, an ascent is not look up. Reach up, <laughs> swim up, spin around, like, and yeah. as, an ascent is slowly reducing the ambient pressure from around your body as you control your buoyancy up to the surface, right? Over right. the course of a certain amount of time, based off of what you just did underwater. Yes, and I, I mean this brings back, you know, circle back to I hate to say circle back to 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 uh, square back, square back. Uh, rectangle back. Let's back. rectangle. Let's let's rectangle back. Uh, let's hex- hexagon back. <laughs> let's really change things. Let's up. Uh, wait. Wait. This is for, this is for a lot of new divers. Oval back. Let's let's uh, let's rhombus back. Rhombus. Ooh. 
Love, loves me a rhombus. Let's go back to the original story here of your uh, your friend coming to the dive shop and she had an uncontrollable ascent. Now, was we don't know all the particulars, or do you? Was she holding on to a line while she was going up? I'm guessing no. I mean, just just from what little information I got in the story. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that. Yeah, and it's, it's the quarry. There's not like a whole lot of lines you can go up and down on. I mean, they're there, but... So she's trying to do a free ascent um, with a dive buddy. And the other end of this question, you know, you start, you start peeling, you know, scratching the surface of these stories or these problems, and you get more surface, which is you, you find out, well, they were improperly weighted. They were overweighted, which lends itself to loss of buoyancy control very easily on the ascent. Right. It's one of the big oxymorons of, of scuba diving is I'm having trouble you know, holding my stop, so I'm going to add weight. Oh, yes. So what you right, have it's, to it's do... It's one of the most common, it's one of the most yeah. absolute, most common things that occurs. I did, literally just had another conversation with, with a different guy yesterday about that exact same thing. Yeah, so they so they add more weight on, and in order to compensate for the extra weight, you put more gas in your BCD as well as your dry suit or and or both, you know, kind of deal. So you have more gas... Which, which lends itself to instability, which you know, we call dynamic instability, especially in a dry suit. You have a bigger gas bubble area for it to move around, to expand, to pull your feet up, to pull your head up, to pull your arm up, whatever. But even if it's just in a BCD in a wetsuit diver, um, of course, you've got the neoprene decompressing, which causes some lift, and you've got a bunch of gas. So the more gas you have in a BCD, the more gas you have to expand. Exactly. And on top of that, this is the conversation I was having with the, the, this other gentleman is just because you're hitting the dump button, <laughs> just because you're pulling the hell out of that rapid exhaust cable mm-hmm. does not mean the BCD is going to dump it. Right. You have to be in the right. proper uh, position. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you have to be in a position that the, the bubble is where it's supposed to be, so it's conducive for that bubble to escape. Exactly, which you see a lot in new divers, right? Their feet, their feet up, and they're pulling on. They're trying to let gas out of their their inflator deflator, and while they're trying to swim, yeah, (laughs) while they're trying to swim back down to the. (laughs) And you try to explain to them, like, listen, you you have a rear dump. Use your rear dump, but even better, better than that is go go in a horizontal position. You know, get yourself level, trim yourself out. Far too many sport divers are playing the no decompression table too close to its absolute limit, Brando. They leave themselves no safety margin for personal error or unforeseen emergencies. Was the watch bezel precisely set at the start of the dive? Was the bezel bumped or moved somehow during the dive? Is the depth gauge really accurate at depth? It's these little things which can get a diver in trouble and help to push him beyond safe limit. Furthermore, few sport divers realize how increased depth can amplify the danger factor. For example, a one or two minute error in bottom time computation at a depth of 90 feet could get you bent. But at a depth of 150 feet, the margin for error might be just a few seconds. The deeper you go, the more critical the timing, 
And the deeper you go, the less likely you will be able to function precisely because of the dulling, numbing effect of nitrogen narcosis. And I think that's where we've come to in today's day and age, especially what you and I keep talking to about our listeners and definitely our students over the last number of years is it's really about the ascent. That's what the critical mm-hmm. timing is. And that's where the critical zone is. It's, I, I would look back at this article from you know 1974 and say it's not so much the extra minute or two or the extra <laughs> few seconds, right, as exactly. much as it is having the, the thought and the understanding of what that table really means and how to mitigate deal it. with that on the way back up to the surface. It's that ascent which is, as you so eloquently pointed out, <laughs> is the critical component <laughs> Of the dive. It's not the no decompression limit, but structuring the ascent. I'd agree. And even even so much as I, I would say, you know, even after a five-minute bottom time, you've done enough bottom time, depending on your depth, to potentially create an issue based off of how fast that ascent is. Yeah. If anything else, James, you, the uh, the damage... You know, like we talked about, there's there's micro damage that you don't really see or feel per se, but, but that level of damage increases and it's and it becomes more cumulative over over years and years. You know, um, when you do that little five minute pop down to a hundred feet and you say, "Oh, it was only five minutes," I'll just pop right back up. Well, there's there's you're going to do damage, so you sh- should pull the same ascent in in. In my opinion, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you share this with me, is you pull the same ascent as if you did the close to the no decompression limit, or shouldn't call it that, the no stop limit. You should pull that same ascent, you know, 30 feet per minute and get up to, the, you know, half your depth or half your atus, whatever you, your, the rule is anymore, but get up to halfway and start Well, yeah, because I mean, if, if you go to four atus mm-hmm. and you stay there for five minutes, Right, your your blood is fifty percent saturated. Your five, yeah, your five minute and, and when you, tissue is, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and when you come up to thirty feet at two atoms, mm-hmm. that pressure's you know it's it, released. Right, it's one half. Yeah, the pressure is cut by half, and things are going to double in size. That critical, that critical depth as well is the thirty feet. Is thirty that, feet to the surface is the critical zone? Right, no doubt about two it. Two to one, the greatest ratio you're going to face in, in a in a 33-foot uh, depth of water or 33-foot change of depth, you are going to face the greatest ratio of change at 33 to the surface. Now, you can go, you can go from, you know, 100 or 99 to, to 66, and that's only 25%, right? So because that's four addas to three addas, and that's, that's a one-quarter change. So it's not... Even you're down deep, it's the same depth change, but it's less of a ratio, which means the bubbles only expand one quarter. Right, which is why we've recently changed ratio deco, where we're moving in those last steps, mm-hmm. right? That 30, last 20, 10, 10 feet, mm-hmm. you're moving, you know, and that, that last 10 feet, you're moving one meter per minute, you know, three right. minutes, just coming up from 10 feet slowly, slowly, slowly taking that pressure mm-hmm. off the body. And again... The, sl- the closer and closer you get to the surface, the slower and slower you should be moving. 
Well, ex- you're exactly right. And the great analogy. It's like an asymptote. In reality, <laughs> you should never get to the surface after a dive. <laughs> you can get close, but you'll never reach it. I was going to say, use the, the old, you know, shake up your, your bottle of soda. So use a tonic water. Go try this at home, kids. You grab a tonic water off the shelf. After get you two grab, of them. After you grab Dad's favorite bottle of gin. Then grab his, then a, grab a couple of limes. Yes. And then grab his tonic and tell him you're doing an experiment. Right. And so take one. Actually, grab four bottles of them, right? Take one and just pull the, just turn the cap. Don't, you don't even have to shake it up, but just turn the cap. Basically, that tonic water was under pressure. Gas was infused into it, just like your body is when you're breathing nitrogen, you know, when you're breathing air. So take it and just unscrew the top, see what happens. Take it and unscrew the top s- s- slowly, but don't stop unscrewing it, see what happens. Take it, unscrew the, sl- the, the top at little intervals. Unscrew it, lock it back down. Unscrew it, lock it back down. Unscrew it, lock it back down, and see what happens. You'll see different reactions you'll see in, in each of them. And the most uh, calm <laughs> opening of the bottle, in other words, where there's nothing coming out the lid, is you just take it, you keep, let it out for a few seconds, close it back down. Let it out for a few seconds, close it back down, which is simulating coming up slowly and stopping coming up slowly and stopping. Right, and these are all effects of what we teach as Henry's gas law. Very good. But in all of these, you're going to see bubbles form. Yes. And the question is, how many bubbles do you want at the surface of that liquid, right? Just some bubbles collecting at the surface of the liquid and nothing more. The whole top of the, the, the bottle, which is air and not liquid, full of bubbles or bubbles spewing out the the top of the bottle. But in all of those cases, because you're taking the cap off of the the bottle, you are decompressing Mm -hmm. that tonic to pour yourself a nice, refreshing summertime cocktail. Uh, This is, yeah, this is your body. You set down the tonic. This is your body on diving, you know, (laughs) and you pull pull the top off, but... And this is your body when the boat gets blown out that day, and uh, <laughs> you instead go to the pub for yeah. sandwiches and a couple of these a couple of experiments. But yes, um, yeah, I see the lights go on when people see that because you explain a lot, and and they have a couple little diagrams or or illustrations in the open water book. But I can remember if you just just bring a bottle of tonic water or club soda or any carbonated beverage which basically is they use co2 and in, in under pressure infuse it in back into the liquid but once you release that pressure that co2 comes out of solution and forms bubbles yeah absolutely and uh you know, interesting enough and for a lot of new divers i mean this it's the it is the classic discussion of decompression mechanics is that is that bottle right it's the it is Important for those new kids to know, though, that that's it's really only describing the dissolved gas right. phase. Mm-hmm. There's still a bubble phase to contend with as well, which right. which is a whole other discussion and a whole other podcast. That's but where you need good it, lungs. It, it, you need good lungs. Yes, you need good, clean lungs, healthy lungs. All right. So, Paulie says, how can you utilize the no decompression table safely? 
Follow these steps and you may save yourself a lot of possible trouble and pain. First, he says, be sure your watch is precisely set at the start of the dive and that your depth gauge is functioning accurately. Now, Do not depend solely or completely on any automatic decompression device. Always use the U.S. Navy tables as a backup. Well, so you listen to what he's saying. He's talking about the bezel on your watch, your bottom timer, your your depth gauge. And, and I don't know many people are using those anymore. We use computers for the most part. 99.9% of the average diver coming into diving would be using a computer. But But you can translate it into today's world, right? What he just said, because it's still pretty damn pertinent. It's still pretty applicable. And Yeah, you, you use that as a backup to your brain. Thank you. Yes, your brain is your is your primary people. Brain is the primary. When you when you you know, people say, What's your backup to your computer? I go, My computer is my backup. My brain is my primary. That's what I'm gonna use as my primary tool for gauging my ascent, my bottom time, and, and knowing my depth, you know, that's how I roll. He says, be very sure you are following the prescribed ascent rate of 60 feet per minute. 30 feet per minute. Use, it, <laughs> <laughs> use an anchor line or descent line to help gauge your speed. Practice your ascent speed by timing yourself over a preset distance. It should take a full minute to come up from 60 feet or to swim one length of a standard 20-yard YMCA pool. You'll be surprised to find out how slow you will have to travel. Yeah, and, uh, and again, go ahead. even though the, the times have changed to, you know, now we know we're moving 30 feet per minute, not 60 feet per minute. Mm-hmm. It's more than just looking at your gauge and, if it beeps at you, you know you went too fast. Or if it, the 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 gate the the speedometer is up into the red zone, mm-hmm. you went too fast. It's having that awareness of the the particles in the water around you, uh, what the bubbles are doing around you, what that ascent line's doing, you know, in your peripheral vision, you know, is going to when you practice that. I mean, that's what pra- that's why practices is so important for a diver. And it's left so that out. You have James. that experience and awareness around. Yeah, it seems to be left out of the, you know, average curriculum for the open water diver. They don't even go over like, hey, you need to practice this stuff. You need to go in uh, on a weekly or regular basis and and work on these things, not just go diving down to the Caribbean and and blow off your first two dives as as your warm-up dives. You need to practice them all the time if you want to maintain a uh, a level of skill that allows diving to be enjoyable but more importantly your safety it helps maintain your safety and you bring up some great great points as far as the awareness i watched it i watched it over this past week and and straits is these are experienced divers they're not new divers, but I watch them get so focused on a camera on their ascent and descent that they lose the line, they lose the partner, they have no idea what depth they are. So they're coming up on the ascent and they're looking at their camera and they're at 10 feet doing a nice little stop. They go off the line, start looking at their camera, they drop down to 25 feet and it doesn't even occur to them. I... You have to be clear in your ears. I would think that would be a trigger, but 
I watch and nothing, nothing snaps in their head and they're off the line as the current in the Straits of Mackinac is taking them away from the boat. It, it can get a little shaky at times. You know, not that that alone isn't going to kill you, but it's the snowball that well, you're starting. You're starting a little snowball rolling, baby. Right. Well, and that's the thing is underwater f- photography mm. is so much more than how to use the camera. Underwater, right. Underwater, right. <laughs> the key element <laughs> of learning underwater photography, in my opinion, has nothing to do with what is in your digital underwater photography specialty card recognition. Agreed. Because you see people you know, that are photographers, and that, that's the thing that they're missing is that awareness of where they are in the water. Well, that's why most of them, you know, they fly the flag of, I'm a solo diver. I don't want anybody to go with me. And understandable because you don't want to be paying attention to another person. You don't want to be yeah, worrying. That's, that's the easy way out. It is. And it, that's exactly that's the, right. That's the, cheap, that's, that's the cheap card. It's the cheap card for sure. It's the two of diamonds. He says, spend a few minutes decompressing at 10 feet. Whether you think you need it or not, it certainly cannot hurt you but could help compensate for any errors or physiology problems of which you may not be aware. If you come anywhere near the bottom time limit within four or five minutes during a no decompression dive in the 40 to 140 foot depth range, take a full five minutes decompression. If you're making a dive to 150 feet or deeper, take a full five minutes decompression regardless of how little time you spend down there. These guidelines are admittedly conservative, but it is far better to be super safe than sorry. And what we know now is, well, I wouldn't say that those are super conservative. No. They're, they're like the bare minimum. Nowadays, for us, they are. I don't know about anybody else, but they, for us, they are. And the other thing I'd add on there, James, is, is a little thing called subclinical DCS, which which just means you're not exhibiting the classical signs of decompression sickness or the bends, but you are exhibiting like flu-like or extreme fatigue s- symptoms, maybe a mild fever. When you come up with this, we, we kind of know that's subclinical DCS. If you're not feeling zippity-doo-dah when you come out of the water and for the time period following coming out of the water, you probably have a level of subclinical DCS going on. And this is something that you need to kind of be self-aware of and start modifying the way you dive. It start putting in those longer safety stops and a slower ascent from, from 20, 10 feet, you know, whatever. And like James said, like you said, brother, that, 10, that last 10 feet to the surface is super critical. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. Take a minute to two minutes to three minutes to go 10 feet. It isn't going to hurt you. Yeah. So, I mean... Look at any other type of activity or exercise or sport, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even so, something like uh, hiking or walking. Like if, if you took a, a walk, like a 30-minute walk around your neighborhood, I mean, you're, you're going to have broken a sweat. Your, your muscles are, have been exercised. Uh, you're going to probably want to drink some water to rehydrate your body. You may even stretch out your calves a little bit, you know, after, after the, the little walk. I mean, uh, like a 30-minute to an hour-long dive, are you putting in that much physical activity? 
as as a walk, or or are you putting in more physical activity after a walk, right? So to think that you're going to get out of the water, like I mean, it's most people when they do a dive, it's pretty relaxing, leisurely swim and. But if you get out of the water and you're tired and you're beat up from that <laughs> relaxing of an, of an activity, that should be a clue that something is not right in how you're coming to the surface and getting out of the water. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's, um... It is in the opinion of this magazine that sport divers should contain their diving to well within the limits of the no decompression table. And they should use this table wisely and conservatively. Leave the super hairy decompression diving to the professionals. They get paid for taking risks. Each year, he says, tens of thousands of sport divers pour into the Caribbean and Pacific for diving vacations. These waters are invitingly warm and clear and filled with fascinating marine life. The danger of bends seems remote when you're having a good time. You know, he mentions that there's not recompression chambers on every single dive boat, right? Prevention of the bends becomes critical when treatment is virtually impossible. Do yourself a favor. Take five minutes at 10 feet just to be sure. And I think that still has a lot of application for divers today. I think that advice is, has, been, has been honed to a finer level, to a little more accurate and finer level. Right. right? And it's literally been being poked and preached and prodded and told the divers for half a century. <laughs> yeah. And yet, you don't always see it. And nowadays, you know, the, the uh, computer clears, their dive computer clears, they pop up 20 foot, 30 foot, 10 foot, boom, just pop oh, right yeah. up. I mean, that's, a, that's what you see all the time is yeah. the, if they are able to pull the safety stop off, by looking at their computer, as soon as it goes three, two, one, double dashes, next stop surface. <laughs> Later, <clears throat> elevator button. So that's not a great practice for the for the diver's body for your physiology. It, it's very damaging. Like I say, you're going to damage something on decompression. Try to minimize it. You'll enjoy diving more. You'll feel better. You'll um, last longer on this blue ball yeah the ascent should have the most critical focus and attention to yourself to your body to your teammate to your environment to everything that's going on around you that's where it really all comes into play and even like you mentioned earlier even having a major catastrophic emergency that's probably not going to be what causes you the trouble it's the having the emergency and bailing to the surface mm -hmm. is where you have the real problem. <laughs> yes. All right, everybody. Well, that was a great dive, I think. How about you? It was a pretty good dive. Uh, I like the way we took those safety stops, those that's, that slowly ascend from every dive advice, and then put it to use. Yeah, people. So uh, what do you think? How do you make your ascents? Do you like your ascents? Do you have a sense oh, of what I'm talking about? Brando, <laughs> tell me if you know this scent. <laughs> no. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Safe diving, folks.
can we get more any more idiotic joke than that? Just when we hit bottom, give us give us an hour. Give us an hour. Well, just when you think we've hit bottom, we keep descending. But um, there we go.